Welcome to episode six of the Paradox PT podcast, where we discuss all things physical therapy, rehabilitation, and clinical practice. Today, I'm speaking with Felix Umana. Felix is a physical therapist and strength and conditioning specialist who's been in practice for about 15 years. He's the founder and co-owner of Umana Health, which is a multidisciplinary healthcare clinic in Etobicoke. And it's also the clinic where I've been fortunate enough to work out of over my first year and a half of practice. Felix has a wealth of knowledge on both the clinical and business side of things when it comes to physical therapy. He has a sense of clarity around his priorities and values that I think has translated into a business with a crystal clear vision and a really high level of integrity. So today, Felix and I discuss the paradox of reconciling economic self-interest as a business in the private healthcare sector with simply doing what's best for patient care. He gave me some great insights here, and I think you'll get a lot out of it, whether you're a new grad, a student, or an experienced clinician. So I hope you enjoy, and if you want to get in touch with us, please reach out on Instagram. My handle is leo.physio. Felix's handle is at physiofelix. All right, Felix, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, so, uh, what I wanted to chat about today was an, an idea that, that you brought forward as a topic, which I thought was really interesting, um, thinking a little bit bigger picture than the debates that we often see on social media these days, which is, you know, often gets into the nuances of like sets and rep schemes and, yeah. you know, what are the mechanisms by which manual therapy works and like people really argue about these details. Um, but Ultimately, we all practice, all private practice physios work within this broader context of like a healthcare system and we have constraints around us and the, the paradox that you brought up was essentially how to run a profitable business in an ethical way and kind of reconciling those, those two things. So maybe just start off by telling me what the, like how that has come to the forefront for you recently and why you thought that'd be an interesting thing to chat about. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, before we start, though, I really wanted to say that uh, this is amazing what you're doing. And from having you on, and I hope you don't edit this out, but uh, when you came on board, it was really it was really refreshing uh, to have you on because you really are an inspiration to, I think, a lot of people. And this is just an extension of that. So what you're doing is, is really, really good and I think very valuable for both new grads and us old dogs as well. So appreciate, appreciate it. That. Appreciate it. Um, so yeah, so how this came about was, uh, and I think I have to give you some background on even myself and my, yeah. uh, where I started and going back so far as even kind of my family. And I grew up in a very, I would call it a very socialist upbringing. And so my father was very much about uh, wellness of others and taking care of everybody and not just the, the, the good of one person. Mm-hmm. Uh, very anti-commercialism and all that kind of stuff. So I grew up in that sort of, bubble, uh, both my parents are physicians or were physicians uh, back home, and that also kind of feeds into the whole helping others and, and coming from that, that position. So I didn't come from a business family, mm-hmm. uh, is, I guess my point. Um, and so that framed my mind a lot in terms of going through school and then coming out. So obviously we both went into physio, not necessarily to get rich because I don't think there are many rich physios. I'm sure there's there's some that do really well, but I don't think that's the, the primary reason we go into uh, physiotherapy. So that whole 
trajectory through school and, and learning and everything touches very little on the business side, as you know. So when I came out, I was happy to be a physio. Uh, and I was wanted in the back of my mind to have something of a clinic that I could run and own, but I had no idea how to get there. Um, so that, that sort of really started that movement towards, let me figure out what I need to do to run a business. And that started just by me working at a, at a clinic. And the business model there was very much business oriented, money, numbers, that kind of practice, which to me was the only way to do it. I didn't have any other experience. So I thought, okay, we're gonna, I guess the goal here is to, to build and extract as much as you can right. out of every patient. And that was the metric. And that was sort of the bar that they set and where you would wanna hit. And of course it comes with financial rewards. So on one end, you're trying to be a pleaser and you wanna do uh, what's expected, but also you get financially compensated. So now you have two driving factors pushing you in that direction. But I'll say that I think it wasn't as fulfilling at the end of the day. I knew in the back of my mind there, there has to be another way here because you can tell when patients start to feel like they're being monetized. And I didn't like that feeling. And that maybe came from, again, my background of not wanting to discuss money or not yeah. really wanting to, to build a lot of people. And so that's kind of where the journey started, where that seed was planted that maybe there's another way and I wasn't really sure how to get there. I, mean, I still don't. I don't think, like I said, I hope your listeners aren't looking for an answer uh, today because I don't think I have one, but at least we can explore maybe there are other people that are smarter and more experienced yeah. that might have this figured out and hopefully that creates that conversation. So how long did you work in that initial context, like in that first first job? So I worked as an, as an employee or contractor for just under three years. Uh -huh. uh, and then I had the opportunity to start my own practice with a partner, uh, a business partner, under the same model though. So very, very similar. No, no, no real change in me yeah. creating something different other than I had a little bit more flexibility at that time to try and introduce some ideas. But I was very much still under that same business model. And, and how much, like just to get into the specifics, like how many, how many patients was that clinic seeing like say per practitioner what was the expectation so that per was, day yeah and that's interesting because i think what the reason why the model worked was because of the use of ptas right and that makes really a lot of economic sense because if you just have one physio and three or four ptas yeah well now you can bill a physio rate and just pay an assistant to do mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. and while i think there was some benefit to that model that there's really great PTAs and, and kins that I've worked with, amazing. Um, many of which actually ended up going on to physio school. So I think there's definitely value in that. But as, as I've grown, and, and as you know, you're kind of at the tail end of getting rid of a lot of that, and it happened during your, your time here. So it was sort of a gradual transition that I started to realize there is value to having the physio with that knowledge that could progress, regress patients. Yep. And while a kin can do that at times, and in our setting, the way we are, because it's private practice and it's, we charge, a, a, not a, a lot, but a lot is expected, I think. Mm -hmm. And to bill someone a full rate for having someone with slightly less experience started to really feel less appropriate. Yeah, and then I guess just ethically, like there's a bit of a, can be a slippery slope where it's hard to provide the adequate supervision to progress and, and regress and reassess. So maybe there, there are clients who 
would have a change of course in the treatment plan, but because you know they start working with the PTA, maybe they don't get that as, as much as they would. Right. And then you know if you're as a physio supervising multiple PTAs, it just becomes hard to delegate and to really be like thinking critically about four or five people an hour. Like that right. just becomes kind of a cognitive. Uh, you know, like yeah. horsepower issue. Yeah, and from a clinic clinic perspective, if you think about the business, we're actually our biggest constraint is time. So most of our patients want to come around the same time. Yeah. And so if you only have a one one slot at five p.m. with one physio, that's a problem for a clinic. Whereas if you have one physio and four PTAs at the same time, now you're able to bill five hundred dollars an hour, and, and it makes financial sense. Yeah, uh, and then there's obviously constraints of space and, and things like that as well. But so the the model itself was kind of heavily based towards minimal minimal physios, maximal PTAs. Yeah, and like I said, while it makes financial sense, I don't know that it that created. We we still had a really good experience. I'm not because it, the, the um, treatments were still one on one. It's not one PTA, five people being supervised kind of thing. So I'm not going to say it was a, a poor model for for quality of care. That it would be unsafe. Yeah. I just think that you get a much better experience. I feel more comfortable, and and I feel like the clients get a, a more premium. I would say experience if if it's just the physio that doesn't. Right, and I guess ultimately that's like how any business makes more money is like how do you scale, right? It's like if you're always yeah. just one person trading time for money, you can you hit a certain threshold where you know if you're seeing. In our setting, like a busy day is eight people a day, like I, right. you know, sometimes 10, um, but beyond that, like 40, 50 patients a week, that's your cap. And then I guess you either need more space or more physios or you expand. And then it's just a question of like, do you want to expand and do you want to take on that much, you know, the, the extra risk and then having to hire more staff. So like from your perspective, it must be. Like, I guess one, one thing I'm curious to ask you is like, do you have kind of a, a master plan where it's like, um, there's a, there's an end game, there's a vision of like the, the, the amount of expansion that you want, or are you kind of happy in a, in a model where you have kind of a tight knit clinic and you're, you're hands on and you know, you're, you're, you're kind of here managing things. That's a good question. And it actually has changed a lot over the years of me owning Mm-hmm. Uh, clinics and it, initially I my my first initial thought was I just want a clinic and I didn't know what that meant it, it didn't uh-huh. I just I know I want to run something and just have it to do things my way not necessarily financially to compensate myself but more just to be able to run things how I want it and not have anyone tell me this is how you should do things so that was the initial uh, idea then when I started and I had a, a business partner which was very much business-minded and, and everyone in that sort of circle was very business-minded. Then you start to hang around people that think about expansions and multiple clinics and um, franchising and, and then just being kind of the overseer. And I really like that. I, I think I gravitate towards that naturally. I, I like to kind of just more hands-off oversee. Um, but then, you know, you, you hang out with people enough and then you start to question, well, is this what I want? Really and truly, it's easy to get taken away in these ideas Mm -hmm. and then I would see maybe someone's wearing flashy watches and then they're talking about $5,000 watches and I'm like I would never pay $5,000 for a watch so why would I want to go down that path just to have a watch that I don't even need right right and so but I'll tell you it wasn't until I got out of that system that I started to really realize oh wow if I kept in this path I probably would have 
continued that way because if anything I'm not maybe not the brightest but I'm very persistent <laughs> uh, and so I would probably persist until I achieve that goal uh, and I think ultimately, I think I, I don't think I would have been happy because it does require some sacrifice, quite a bit actually, both from a personal standpoint and a time standpoint. Yeah, I guess. And as as you you know, you have kids, you get older, you, you start to make those calculations differently than right. if you're like, a, a, you know, in early thirties, you know, you're on your own, you have a lot of time to burn, and you're just like, okay, how, like your profession's everything. Yeah, and so that was a big uh, a big changing of my mind frame when. I stepped out of that model and when I started the clinic uh, Humana Health and I just started it on my own it was just one me in a room and basically starting from scratch after a few years of having a, a clinic but it was almost in a way it was very difficult it was a very challenging time for me but it was a really good way for me to just reassess what I wanted to do and start to build something that I thought would more aligned with my values. In fact, that's why a lot of people don't realize the name of the clinic is my last name. But my reason for that was because I was so adamant that I wanted to make sure the insurance companies and everyone that I was dealing with, I have my name on it. I'm not going to do anything that would compromise. Why would I do that to my own name? Mm -hmm. And that was the thought process behind naming the clinic, uh, never thinking that it was ever going to be bigger or have a building that had a sign outside that said the name on it. So the driving force for me at that time was able to kind of go back and kind of what I was talking about before, get in touch with what's what's good for me, what's good with my values, and how do I combine that with running, like you said, a, a business that is profitable, and I'm still working on it. Yeah. Well, and one of the interesting things about you is that you've been treating, like in the past maybe five years, every PT that comes out has this, tends to be, we're, we're, we're moving towards a bias of exercise, I would say. Yeah. Right? And you, yeah. you honestly, you're like the original. You were doing it before it was cool. Um, and like, I, I'm curious to, to ask, back in, you know, you graduated 07? 07, yeah. Yeah, so like in the early 2010s, for example, were there clinicians that practiced the way you did? Or like, were... <laughs> Uh, no, uh, well, yes, probably. Yeah, but like in your circle, like was no, it, it like, cause no. I find that most people are just like, they follow whatever their mentor did or whatever, who like is the, the clinicians around them do. Yeah. And which, you know, even a, in, as I was coming up in a lot of clinics, it was like the ultrasound laser tens model. You got three patients an hour, 20 minute sessions, physio does a quick assessment, patient gets put on a modality. And you, it sounds like, have been practicing in a way where you're one-on-one, -on -one, like really digging into, trying to dig into root causes, doing movement um, yeah. for a long time. So like when, I don't know, was there ever any resistance to practicing oh in that God, way? There, like, was, there was resistance <laughs> to the point where actually, I, and I don't know if I told you, but I really wanted to leave the profession. I, I was so just, I, I was just, uh, I don't know, just looking at it and saying, that I don't know where this is going to go, but I don't like the fact that I feel like I need to hide what I do mm. and how I do it. And and to be fair, it, it actually is a lot more challenging to practice when you say you can't put your hands on someone and you have to think, figure out how do you help them without putting your hands on them. And actually, yeah, so at the time, I, like I said, there's probably, there were some physios, but it was so rare and far between that. And there was not a lot of community. Even now it's kind of, it's, it's grown and you can contact people a lot easier. Uh, but back then it was it was definitely a challenge um, so like I said it was something that I thought I don't I thought when I graduated I was just not a very good physio because <laughs> I would 
they, my CI would say, hey, you palpate this and you do this and you see the SI, it's not moving. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about right now. <laughs> but so, I, I mean, partly I think it was that, but partly, I mean, I came from a very big exercise background through Ken and through personal training and everything. And so I was comfortable with it and, and I felt like it did help people. I, I saw improvements. And so if I could get improvements and maybe not do it with the hands, and that was, I think that was okay. But the, the driving factor for uh, when the model that I started was that to be honest, the physios weren't very good with exercise. Yeah. And it was really, really difficult for me to find and work with physios that could go from an assessment to a gym floor and translate that as a treatment plan. And that was the problem. So that's why kinesiologists had to be integrated because they came with that mentality where physios at the time, and that's why I'm so grateful I see the young uh, grads coming up with a better uh, mind frame towards exercise. But you would see physios and they had no idea how to go from a resistance tubing to anything beyond that. It was very challenging and it's not their fault. We weren't really taught that. A lot of it is just learned if you read books or follow different people and that kind of thing. So that was the challenge is as I was developing the model, it was hard to find physios that would actually be okay with that model. Yeah. Um, and it, it seems to be changing like over the last massively. Three, four years, honestly. I've literally seen it before my own eyes in the course of the last three years. And it's great to see like a lot of social media posts by physios yeah. emphasizing the importance of self-care, home exercise programs, squatting, deadlifting, all these movements that have traditionally been, hey, go see your personal trainer and let them work on that kind of thing. Now, okay, a couple of things that come to mind there are issues that arise. The first thing is that um, a lot of clinics in the States, for example, that have these big strength conditioning facilities, you know, I'm thinking like, like healthy baller, like Teddy Willsey and like champion PTP with like Mike Reinhold and those guys, yeah. they're cash based. They don't take insurance. Yeah. And so they cater to people who can pay cash and which is like 3% of the population, which Absolutely. I guess in those settings is enough to, you know, fill their schedules and they get that kind of athlete, um, clientele, but you know, here we see we're trying to do it in a way that cater that doesn't alienate people that don't that can't pay two hundred dollars an hour for a session. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And so I guess like, what's your take on on the different funding models and how that plays into like an exercise based practice? So I think to answer that, you almost have to go back to where physio was maybe twenty years ago. It's actually even before my time, believe it or not, there was a time before me that Hard to uh, believe. Yeah. <laughs> that OHIP was funding physio. Right. And so it was universal. And so when you went to school, you would come out and you would know that you have a meal ticket because people can just come see you just like phys physicians and just swipe your OHIP card and, and go on. And for somebody who, like I, I'm from BC, first of all, so we didn't have OHIP. <laughs> right. Um, tell me about like, uh, the, the structure of payment like with OHIP was it a like did it pay well no so I mean I don't know the specifics at the time because it was just before I, I graduated okay but yeah. I'm sure it was no better than it is now it's not a great funding model okay it just it just funds everybody so the I don't think the quality of care was any better I think you'd have to see probably like they do now 30, 50, 30 to 50 patients a day in a clinic to just continuously mm. just pay uh, the bills but I think in terms of a financial guarantee, it was quite the thing because you know that you're gonna get funded. And that's a big barrier, like we're saying, that if you don't have funding, you're not gonna go pay $150 an hour 
um, to a physio, or at least a lot of people won't. Yeah. And so that was helpful to the point where actually when they got rid of that, and so now you can still go to an old clinic if you're under 18 or over uh, 65, I think. The, the funding is very similar. They still have the same funding. It's just not very good care. Right. Um, unfortunately, but that's, that's just what it is. But when they got rid of it, people would be able to buy licenses. I don't know if anymore, I looked into this maybe 10 or 15 years ago, you could buy an OHIP license. So our, our clinic now could go off and buy a license from some other clinic for $250,000 and then you'd have access to that funding model if you wanted it. I don't know if they can do that anymore, but that was a thing before you could actually, they don't make any more licenses, you just kind of so there was like a finite amount of OHIP clinics. Correct. And you had to pay in to, to be in that Correct. in that category. So that was kind of the original. So to kind of understand the funding, you have to figure out, okay, well, that's the profession kind of started in that in that way, which meant that as physios, you never had to worry about learning business in school. Why would I ever teach that? Doesn't yeah. make sense, right? You were just kind of you just below it. <laughs> you just below it. Yeah. Uh, and so when that went away, it sort of started that transition. And it takes a while. It doesn't schools don't change right away, obviously. So it takes decades sometimes. For curriculum to catch up and now we're at a point where funding continues to be cut from all different yeah. uh, workplaces and, and, and employers right they just yeah. there used to be quite a few uh, for example unlimited physio plans that people would literally you could go to physio as much as you wanted and all be covered right uh, big corporations had that and every seems like every few years every time they renegotiate contracts they just keep cutting these benefits obviously they want to save uh, money but it also creates less people having access to what we do uh, and so now we're at a point where a lot of that's getting cut and now we're kind of looking at well is there an option to do cash basis or, or cash practice that is accessible to everybody and I think that's the question that I don't I don't know that there's an answer to just yet because obviously there are people that can pay but how much of that how many how much of Canada or the population could actually afford that because I know that you I, I don't think I could go see a physio three times a week for six weeks which if I got hurt that's what it would probably be right yeah a hundred percent and it yeah it creates a real real issue like one thing I wanted to get your take on um, when a lot of the big box clinics in Toronto were interviewing my classmates as they were coming out of school one of the interview questions was always okay here's a generic injury hip flexor strain calf strain what's the treatment plan and then you'd have to say well okay based on tissue healing principles and you know what the patient wants to get back to twice a week for two weeks and then once a week for the next six weeks what whatever it is right yeah. and then they would ask okay so that patient is paying out of pocket and they don't have insurance does the treatment plan change and every almost everybody to a person in in my class their intuition was that well in reality you'd have like if they can't pay you, you have to try to do certain things differently. Yeah. Give, maybe, maybe put a bit more time into like a, educating them about home stuff. But the, that was always the wrong answer. In the interview, it's like the treatment plan is the treatment plan is the treatment plan. But you know, in my head, the contextual factors around the patient's finances, they do impact their ability to, um, to, to, to rehab. And so like, I'm just curious what your, what your thought is on that. Um, yeah, I've struggled with that only because I've worked in um, in gym facilities, and I've firsthand seen where someone will fall off a treatment plan because their insurance is done, and then they'll go drop three thousand dollars on a personal trainer. Yeah, and yeah. that was tough to see. And right. so I understand where the philosophy comes from of hey, the treatment plan is a treatment plan because a lot of these people they will go and drop money somewhere else, 
but that's not everybody. And if you take that approach, it alienates quite a few people. True. And so I was never good at that. I was never good at forcefully saying, this is how much you need to do and you have to do it or you're not going to get better. Right. Uh, I take much more than, like you're right, it's contextual. Sometimes you can, you can't. Uh, I've treated for free a lot, actually, <laughs> in my career. So it's it's more about what's good for the patient, going back to what the socialist kind of mentality is. I'd rather help more people and if I can help them any, in any way that might help their finances too, I would appreciate that as a, as a person. So for why sure. would someone else appreciate that? Of course. But then ultimately the, the, the issue is, you know, if you're not putting food on your table, exactly. you can't do that. So it's, um, it's an upstream problem. And, and then, you know, you bring up a really interesting point about like the distinction and the, maybe the really blurry line these days between uh, PTs and PTs, right? <laughs> Physical mm-hmm. therapists and personal trainers. Yeah. Like a lot of the time our sessions look similar to a personal training session um, and and so maybe patients devalue the physical therapy because they think oh it's just personal training whereas if I rub their back then maybe they value that more so like it comes <laughs> down to the perceptions of the population about what rehab is yeah like so do you think we need to like as as more people continue to practice this way and patients feel the benefits that that kind of practice gives them like people tend to buy into it in, in my experience but like like do you think that's just a like a public perception issue or PTs need to do a better job about clearly explaining like the difference in their role yeah no I think it's both so the reason that personal trainers are and people easily go and drop money on personal trainers is because it kind of fu- functions on the on the wants not the needs you don't you know you, when you go to a personal trainer you want to look better you want to lose weight for a trip you want to have big biceps whatever it might be yeah. that's what you want and wants drive money a lot more than needs mm-hmm. uh, in the sense so when you go to a, a PT or physio most people go because they need it because they're hurt and you would think it's counterintuitive you would think that people would pay for that yeah. but they don't want to nobody wants to pay to fix your back very few do it's like get me out of pain but then as soon as I'm slightly better, I'm out. I, I'm going to go buy a pair of shoes or I'm going to go drop on a trainer mm. because that's really a lot more... That's a super interesting point. Yeah, romantic, I, I think, that, that people... Yeah, and, and it goes for anything. Like yeah. A lot of courses that you can take for business, they kind of identify that. They're, you want to identify the, the, the wants because if you do that, then you'll really get commitment and, and on, on the patient's part. And do, do you think that's driven by sort of a like the needs maybe... Um, they, they have a sense of like obligation associated with them, whereas the wants are like, I don't know, like what's different about wanting to lose weight and wanting to get out of pain? Because in, in, in some sense, both of them have like social implications and implications for your, your life. Are we just really vain? and <laughs> uh, well, That's what I think. I mean, yeah. why, does, why do we need $100,000 cars? We could all just be in a you know $15,000 yeah. car and get around Toronto fine. Yeah. But the, the need is you need a, a car. The want is I want a hundred thousand dollar car. Right. And yeah. the the I think what happens is when you get that you get this I guess the social tokens that you can then put in your bank and that makes you feel good and I think it is there's some level of vanity involved mm-hmm. in that and that's where I think but I will say that physios historically haven't been great at marketing or promoting and that's another thing that's a whole other section about the whole marketing of what we do which was pretty much non-existent because we're not supposed to be marketing we weren't allowed to say a lot of things we're ethically ethically bound by some uh, guidelines yeah. and and that's good but it also it does 
give us a little disadvantage with other professions that maybe are left to say different things in market in, in a way. So combine that with the fact that physios weren't very good at marketing in the first place, even if they were allowed to. Uh, and then it's just a losing battle with people that already know what personal trainers are. Why? Because it's constantly on everyone's social media feed, right? It's like, mm-hmm. look better, feel better, you know, move this way, that way. It's very much what we do as, as physios, or we should be and could be, after they get out of pain. Yeah. But they don't associate the, hey, get out of pain, continue. They just, thanks, Leo, see you later. <laughs> yeah, that's super interesting. Um, yeah, the, 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 I think you're totally right. Like, I think a lot of people that go into this profession are very service-oriented, yeah. And they just, they want to help people and people that like, there's probably a sense of just kind of a agreeableness and compassion there. And, and that maybe that trait often I think is seen in combination with people that aren't good at promoting their services and are very kind of bashful yeah. about saying like, here's, here's what I can do for you. And like actually knowing their worth. Yeah. I mean, in um, your schooling, when you went through it, what, what is the continuum of care now in the curriculum? Like, how does that play out? I mean, is it still very much patient comes in, patient has X problem, pain, whatever. They are out of pain, discharge, finalized. Oh, yeah. 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 But yeah, no, that was basically that was basically it. Like we were led to believe that yeah, like if a patient had a had a really high level functional goal, we could kind of play some sort of consultant role. But that was always a gray area. Like it was very much like pain was the focus, you know? Right. And, and I think for a business yeah. practice, if you think about it, I mean in that doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, if someone wants to come see you for whatever skills you have as a, as a physiotherapist, a, a family physician doesn't discharge you. So why can't you just be a family physiotherapist that yeah. someone comes in and, hey, I just need a tune-up. I had a, a patient yesterday come in and just said, hey, look, I haven't played soccer in two years. I was COVID. Uh, I want to go back to playing. Yeah, A little bit of aches and pains here. It's a little minor knee pain, minor back pain. Can you give me... He called it a check. Uh, what do you call it? like the mechanics? Like a yeah, like a a tune up, a tune up, a tune up. Yeah. I'm looking for a, a tune up. I'm like, okay, yeah, no problem. It's called an assessment for us. <laughs> yeah, and I can definitely yeah. do that. And so we go yeah. through some history, we go through some movements, and I gave him a bunch of things that would be helpful for him. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not common. Most people won't do that. Yeah. Well, and and that's I think a really progressive way to treat because um, a lot of what we do is education. Right. And God, like the things that we can catch upstream by educating somebody that it's safe to move in, into certain positions. And people have these weird contrived notions around exercise that they learn yeah. from from social media or from, you know, like family members and just cultural yeah. beliefs. and Other practitioners sometimes. Yeah. Um, and if somebody's like, uh, if somebody's doing something that, that, that seriously is, could harm them going forward and we can catch that upstream rather than downstream, like... Makes How is total that total sense? Yeah, like it just makes too much sense. You yeah, know what I mean, but 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 the model that we're kind of traditionally taught is, you wait until there's a fire to put it out. Like we're not going to just focus on the health of right of individuals. And that comes down to both the training, the way we train, and the funding models. Uh, because going back to that funding question, obviously there's private insurance companies that fund what we do, and when you have someone that funds your care, there's a level that they can actually dictate. Yeah, what happens. for sure. And they'll say, we'll pay for this, but we won't pay for that. No matter how silly it might seem, and you've seen it on, on several insurance companies, and some of them very explicitly say they do not cover maintenance, maintenance. care. Yeah. And it sounds kind of silly, right? Like, even cars need maintenance. 
why, why would you not want to maintain your body? Yeah. And that's still considered health. So kind of bizarre in that sense. But that's, and, and I will be honest, I think some plans are changing as well in the sense that they are being a little more liberal. And then some, some employers are saying, here's a wellness fund, which is amazing, right? Here's a wellness fund that you can use at your discretion. Yeah. Versus saying, here's your insurance coverage. You only get $250 for physio, only $250 for Cairo. Oh, and there's a copay. Oh, and we only pay 80%. What's yeah. the point of that? Just give someone $100 and say, go do what you want for the $100. But they make it, historically, they've made it very challenging for people to use their benefits. Uh, and they continue to do so because, well, they don't want to pay, right? So yeah. that's another challenge as you're running a business is how do you navigate all these different funding models that they have and still maintain yeah. good quality care ethically, but also respect kind of payers, um, yeah. whatever their rules are. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's something that, We've talked about like it's something I've come up against with WorkSafe claims, where beyond right. a certain role, like once you're out of the program of care, it's it's twenty six dollars a session, right? Yeah. Which is like, so okay, like I could make more, like waiting tables. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's right. And it, it, so I went to school for six years. You know what I mean? But yeah. But patient comes in. I, I haven't had the, you know, like we. It, it needs to be an all or nothing policy. You have to either decide as a clinic we're not going to serve that population or you decide that you are. And, you know, I will say some of those cases have been the most rewarding that I've had because these yeah. are people that really have concrete goals. And like, it's, I don't know, it's interesting how like on social media, we often, um, we kind of elevate these practices where they're, they're optimizing things for athletes, but like people that need help don't have money. Like this is the paradox, right? Is that the people that need care the most are the least likely to have the funding for it. And 100%. so it's like, <laughs> you are balancing that with wanting to make a half decent income yourself. Right. And then you got to make decisions on how to how to do that. And yeah, it's and tough, man. It is, and that's why. So yeah, with the with the workers' comp, we we do accept it. We don't necessarily advertise that we do it. But if someone walks in, I haven't either had the heart to say no. You can't. Yeah. We don't take that insurance because you're right. Most of these people are repetitive strain injuries from factory workers or people that are doing very physically demanding jobs. Yeah. And how do you turn someone like that away? It's that sounds like not something that we went to school for. We're no. here to treat uh, and treat everyone. So, but you're right. What if we had ten of those a day, and, and now I, you can't fit in your private yeah. pay clients and things like that. And, well, and, and and just the paperwork. Like I know at clinics that do a lot of that, they typically have admin support who like get all the paperwork ready, and then the physio just writes the impression. Cool. Whereas on our end, it's like okay, I gotta do the form eight and I got to do the plan of care and I got to yeah. do the FAF and I got, and then sometimes if you have a busy day, like your charting starts to fall behind and, and God, like it's hard enough yeah. just, just treating private clients, but then you have, Oh, I got to call the adjuster. And then you get a couple of those clients that stack back to back and it, it makes you want to just throw it all out together. But yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I guess at the end of the day, like the one thing I always remind myself is that we're in the service industry. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I always, it's easy to kind of get a bit self-focused, but ultimately yeah. we're, um, you, you didn't get in this job to, to, to get really rich. Right. You know, there, there would have been other ways to do that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I, that's kind of my point as well. But I'll say that the administrative stuff, there are clinics that are very efficient yeah. at paperwork. Yeah. And because when you specialize in that, then you would have a dedicated administrator that would just take yeah. care of all of that. Totally. And then the practitioner would just do the, the treatments and that. 
And like I said, so that would be a typical sort of high volume MVA clinic or workers comp clinic. And they do well financially. It's not that you don't, it's just that you see a lot of clients. Yeah. And for us, and so it's another sort of, uh, another topic that can, you can discuss is sort of the, the billing model that we use. And so we're always one-on-one. Uh, I know that, so if we wanted to increase our revenue, an easy way would just be shorten time with patients. So then you can see three an hour instead of two. Yeah, of course. I just can't wrap my head around a 20 minute session with a client. It just seems way too short. Yeah. And that's pretty common in, I mean, maybe now, so maybe less so, but it was really common to have 20 minutes. Or some physios, like you mentioned earlier, you just go see the client 10 minutes, pass off to PTA, yeah. off to the next 10 minutes. I really feel 30 minutes is minimum with a client, given yeah. the intake process, the, the home ex- explanation of what they should do at home kind of thing. So that's another aspect that, well, we could easily just generate more revenue, but then, mm-hmm. well, maybe Leo gets burned out by Thursday or Wednesday because now you're seeing 15, 16 patients a day. Yeah. I don't know how people do or that. Or I guess like the quality of care suffers. Like right. it's either, yeah. Like, cause sometimes honestly with a client, like it takes, I'll, t- I'll spend 10 minutes going over a squat with them. Do you know what I mean? Like if you have the time, like you can really get these light bulb moments where they're like, oh, I feel that, I get it. Yeah. And then we're, we can we can really reiterate, what were the key points today? Like where are we at? Clear plan. And then maybe I've got time to spend some time brainstorming about other, but, but like, the, yeah, when it's so constrained in time, like I, I don't, I, I've seen people argue that like you can provide this, the same quality of care with like 15, 20 minutes. I just, I personally, I haven't experienced that. Yeah, I don't buy it. There are some clients that might be very straightforward. For sure. Yeah. That you can just say, yeah. I had a, a client today that it was just standard hip flexor strain. You overdid it and 15, 20 minutes would have been more than enough. Um, yeah. But yeah. that's very rare, right, for our population. Uh, and that's where you get into the, how well, how much do you bill for that then? Because what we do is very premium in terms of how much time we spend, how much thought process we put yeah. into our service. So could we charge $180 like some pelvic health uh, physios are up in that range now, right? That that's yeah. what kind of becoming the standard. Psychotherapy is $200 an hour. Uh, yeah. so it seems like osteopathy is up to 150, 160. So, I mean, we seem to be trailing behind and we discussed this earlier. It's, well, what's the point of charging $180? Someone only has $500 coverage. I mean, that's like two sessions and then you're done. What, yeah. what, what are we going to do with that? Yeah. So I guess well, so like, can you fit that much value in a longer session for more money right or you know i i don't know if you can because sometimes you, you you need that it's not just like seeing somebody for 70 minutes one day might not actually be better than 60 or 45 right but maybe getting a pattern over a few weeks but if you only charge 200 dollars for your sessions and that's your like hey this is what we charge maybe you don't get to see them on different days and you know what i mean like right. there's a benefit to being able to carry somebody over a month yeah oh i agree like weekly to I just agree. get a sense of like okay what pattern am i actually seeing here yeah and i don't think it's feasible with a, a model that would like if most insurance companies are 500 to you know 800 a yeah. month like you're running out of that on session two or three right on the and, low end and then i think at that point you're, you're patient fall off when insurance is is over is really high it's really high to keep yeah. them on board goes back to that hey did you, do they have a want that's that's strong enough for them to continue to pay that amount and if it's two hundred dollars a session that wants going to be pretty big yeah right yeah <laughs> so yeah. that's the problem that we we have and as a business i mean 
we do okay because I think we don't focus on that as much and we focus on quality of care and word of mouth referrals and everyone that comes in does really feel like they're being taken care of I think by all our practitioners uh, because from top down it's not what's your pace patient visit average you know how many times did you see this patient why did they fall off at this point if they fell off my assumption is that my practitioners either discharge them and they did the right thing or they, they just don't have the funding and it's not that we did anything wrong and by clawing them and keeping them at the clinic it's yeah. not necessarily going to improve outcomes in yeah. any way I, yeah i feel like our, our fall-off rate's very good because we're very transparent it's amazing our patient retention i think is somewhere 90 percent or some yeah. really high number so we don't lose patients that way and i think by doing it the other way it almost it's, it's scary for both a practitioner like a new grad <laughs> to come in and be like hey you're going to see patients five times or you're you're not doing very well yeah you know it's funny my um my sister i don't know if i told you this story she had a, a a little injury recently and um went well this was about six months ago she went to see a physio everything was going really really well good assessment and then right towards the end the physio sat her down and was like so we're going to book in for twice a week for the next six weeks and then we'll reassess from there. And Julia was like, excuse me? Like, <laughs> I, I know what's going on here. You gave me exercises. I have a full gym at home. I, I'm trained really? in this stuff. Like, I don't need to see you twice a week for six weeks. It's, it's, a, it's a muscle issue. I don't yeah. need hands on. Like, I, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. And completely burnt that bridge, right? Like, I, I think she, she may have gone back. I, I didn't follow up with her, but she was like when when I spoke with her initially, she was like appalled at the fact that it was like this upsell, basically. Yeah. You know, and like I, I think it's it's fair if somebody say has like an ACL tear or like some work post surgical, where like you know for okay, sure like this is what like legitimately we can predict the treatment plan is going to be, um, but over treatment in the service of just hitting targets that your clinic owner or your your boss has set, I think. Patients can um, can smell that kind of like right de- away. desperation, yeah, and it like it's not a good look. Like no, yeah, <laughs> and it actually is very apparent. And then now because of social media and the way you can post things, it's so bad for your business if that one client feels like they basically just got taken advantage of. Yeah, uh, and that was very common. To, honestly, before there'd be clinics that would just find out all your insurance coverage and figure out well how much can we get you to see in one day it's like you you got to see this person and this person and the patient's confused they're like I, well, I just came for physio why do I have to do this this that yeah and they, they come in with one problem and leave with five yeah <laughs> and the reason that worked for a while and, and maybe still does is because you can just really get a lot of revenue from that one person right and and so you lose one but you gain a lot because you've just built five different services yeah uh, almost going back to the whole product thing so another really big business I guess source of revenue is products yeah. And you know we don't do a ton of products here. I think we do maybe five orthotics a year, maybe. Mm-hmm. It's just not, and again, it's something I've struggled with my whole career is that I know that there's not that much difference between an orthotic that's custom made and one that's off the shelf. Yeah, I know. So I can't personally recommend someone, hey, if this was out of pocket, are you going to pay $500 for this? I wouldn't. Yeah. So it, it, that's another or issue is that, well, to be ethical, ethically we can't make that recommendation that this is really good for you yeah. and there's research to prove it. Yeah. So, well, and I guess we were talking about this the other day, like that, I think is what defines our role as a profession, right? As opposed to just somebody who sells running shoes or does personal training is that like, we have uh, an obligation to put the patient's health over our profit motive. 
Right. And it's just like period. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and if you're if you find yourself, it's like you know leaning towards your economic self interest when you're making decisions for patients. Like, y- you got to look at other factors that you can tweak because I think that's just something that, that's a line you can't yeah. really cross. You know, and I really appreciate that about the way that you've um, you know your style of practice has infused all the other practitioners here. Is there's no there's no pressure to do you know a certain you know, a, a certain treatment plan with every patient and it just feels very, like I can just literally look at the patient, what do they need? And that's the plan. Like, and it's just, it's, it's so freeing because, yeah. Yeah, you know, like, and that's the way it should be. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, it's hard because I know when I started, I, I would never, it would never be my, I would never consider seeing someone once and then discharging. I, it just, it was just, I would feel like a very big failure because that's how I was indoctrinated. You have to get the follow-up, even if they don't really need it. Right. Like they just and, needed some reassurance. Right. Whereas yeah. now, if I see someone, it's, yeah, great, you're fine, or here's what you got to do, are you good with self-directed? Awesome, go off. Or I've gotten a lot different in the last few years of just, you don't do, you don't necessarily have to do a every other day follow-up or even every other week. It could be, come see me in a month or six weeks because yeah. that's how long it'll take to see some changes. Well, and do you know what? Like, I've had some patients recently where from the get-go like one that comes to mind is a uh, femoral acetabular impingement patient oh, yeah. Yeah. which as we know like it's not a quick fix right right um and i kind of laid the expectations early like we're going to be working here probably for a few months so we're going to spend our time really narrowing down exactly what you're doing on your own because they didn't have a ton of insurance yeah and um and and i've been able to carry out like a five month treatment plan with them Right. Whereas I feel like if I burned through it in the interest of just hitting a certain billing target yeah. <laughs> early, yeah. I would have lost the patient. And bottom line is I wouldn't have been able to carry them through the plan of care. And now I've built a relationship where, honestly, if their insurance runs out, we're so bought in that I'm pretty confident they would just keep coming. That's the difference. So that's the difference with this model is that you create that basically connection, right? Mm-hmm. Where you can follow someone and be their physio forever versus this is my acute injury six weeks later see you later kind of thing uh it's really nice to be able to follow people and and have touch points throughout the whole year even if it's two months later and they come in and say hey i just need a checkup and can you make sure everything's okay so yes it's not a model where you generate a maximum amount of revenue in a short amount of time but in terms of the long game that's a great model for a clinic that wants to be in the community for a long time Mm -hmm. um so switching gears a little bit i was curious to ask you about like alternate income streams for a clinic. Like if we're thinking we can only bill X amount ethically without crossing boundaries that we don't want to cross. Like there are a lot of people doing things online, um, like selling kind of programs. Like, like for example, a company like E3 Rehab. Yeah. Like I don't know if you follow those guys. I, I, Sam I, I, Spinelli, Mark Sertica. Yeah. Um, they have these programs where it's like, you know, knee resilience for 90 bucks yeah and then that's a product that they can sell to like you know uh, uh, you're already smirking <laughs> well no it's just I, I I think it's a I think it's a really interesting question of like how as a profession as physios and not as like strength coaches who don't have um, regulators regulating what we do like yeah is are there opportunities to move into an, an online space in a, in a way that scales in addition to our clinical work like have you thought about that at all, really? Yeah, actually, you know, COVID actually did really make me think about it. And that was the first time that virtual rehab, and it's funny because just before COVID, I was just starting to try and launch a sort of virtual coaching type of program, mm-hmm. more so for patients that, that say, didn't have access to, to revenue or, or money. 
and it would just be a, a cheaper funding model and, and more convenient for them. And then COVID hit, and I'm surprised at how quickly I was looking into tele rehab just before, and there was not a lot of information on the college website. I even called them, and, and then it's amazing how much more resources there are now, two years later, yeah. than there were before, and how accessible it is that even our own EMR system you can do direct uh, virtual tele rehab. So there there are other ways to do it i'm never i've never been a big fan of just these programs that here's how you fix your knee yeah i know for sure here's how you fix your back but can you make a lot of money with it or at least that's of course there's definitely uh, ways you can do that i don't know the ethics behind that like, i i would just feel weird to be here's like, a knee rehab program i know though i will say having said that and talking out loud it's we do give a lot of similar exercises to similar conditions right i just can't wrap my head around thinking that that might fall in the wrong hands of someone and For they'll sure. do it and then they'll hurt themselves. Like you'd have to do it in the context of a separate business yeah. where like you obviously can't say like this is a physiotherapy, this is not, you need to explicitly Correct. say this is not physiotherapy advice. Here are some generic exercise progressions that could help you. Right. And it might help like 60 or 70% of people. But then like, you know, 30% of people might do way too much or do it incorrectly. And if you're not getting the one-on-one supervision. Yeah. And that's kind of the biggest fear. I mean, so alternate revenue for us, for example, is we have exercise classes. And I've just started to do some of that. And I've kept it pretty small because one of the reasons I never liked exercise classes is because... It's not very, um, it's not very unique to the person, and as we know, most people get hurt doing exercise, and so we've I've kept it small, six seven people, and it's amazing because you can teach and still progress in a safe way. Mm-hmm. That's nice. That's an alternate stream, and it, I think it's it's helpful to the community. But as soon as you start to get to those vast casting those nets, it, it's a little challenging. Yeah, it's, it's it's hard like to kind of. To not try to be all things to all people. Yeah. You know, like I want to be the, have the niche physio practice, but also be the strength coach and all. Like, it's a tricky, because the skill sets overlap to a large degree. They do. Like, well, it'd be great if I could do both or, but I don't know. How do you do that in a way that serves your specific community? And yeah, it's a tough question. Yeah. But there's a lot of other, I mean, listen, you can, uh, not just orthotics, but there's lots of things that other clinics do is just promoting and selling. And to be honest, I mean, like I said, we've never been big on products, but someone once told me that, well, if you don't sell it here, someone's going to go buy it somewhere else. Yeah. And it's kind of true, yeah. right? So there's nothing wrong with having display of products and if someone really needs it. I mean, knee braces are another thing, right? Any type of support. Yeah. I, I don't recommend them that, that often. I'm, I know you don't either. Uh, sometimes they can help, though. And yeah, so for sure. Having them around, and, and but, I, but I don't think that's going to really... It's not going to be like a constant know? thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't you know, think... It's, it's very interesting. There's a physio in Ireland uh, called David Gray. And yeah. during COVID, he was getting a lot of very virtual consults and like just getting swamped with them. And he got to the point where he was seeing people and he was like, listen, like I'm al- almost always starting with these foundational things. And so he, he put a program together um, of just like, he called it lower body basics. Um, you know, here's some things that I want every client to be able to do before I see them. Cause you've seen a lot of chronic kind of running issues and he's Makes like, okay, here's some like check marks that you can pretty safely work towards PDF program, put it up for like 80 bucks and it got, you know, it's had like upwards of 5,000 sales, wow. you know, but yeah. I don't think he's a technically a physio. He, he might be, or he could be a strength coach. I'm okay. not hundred percent sure, but, um, That's I, brilliant. It, it's smart. Yeah. It's, um, 
I guess it's just it's so interesting because everybody's doing that now. Yeah, and now it's like <laughs> and that's the hard part is you go online, and everyone's selling some product yeah. or some program, and so yeah. But it, there's a market for it. And there so, is. Yeah. Like I said, there's nothing wrong with it, and I guess for me, it's just not really up my alley right now. No. It may be at some point. Yeah. I've thought about it, and I want to, but I there's so many other people doing it. I like I yeah. said, I just but people. I will say this about businesses: people people will buy things because it's you. People yeah. will will say once your podcast goes global and you get marketing and everything, people will listen not because it's you and, and people will come as patients and say, oh, you have a podcast. That's awesome. I want to listen to it. Right. So if you have a product that you put out and you put out a program, people would buy it just because it's you as well. So they won't go to the competitor or anything. They won't even research. How many people actually research these programs? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, this is the interesting thing about people uh, sell these programs on Instagram. Yeah. And basically anything sold on Instagram is by definition an, an impulse buy. Because they're on Instagram. They didn't search on Google. Right. They didn't say, I want like an e-program. They're like, oh, I see this. The algorithm decided that I'm going to see this. And then like, they're like, oh, what's the price? Okay, let's do it. Screw it. Yeah. You know, my knee's bugging me. We'll do it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see, I guess, in the next like 5, 10, 20 years with everybody, you know, shifting to virtual methods of, of care and, and trying to scale and like just seeing what is going to stay as the old school one-to-one model in person and, and what can be done virtually and yeah. yeah what can be scaled in kind of a group setting and yeah, yeah. I, and I'm sure it'll change because it's changed already and like I said more so in the last three three to five years uh, it seems to be just accelerating much quicker uh, yeah. but for I think for the best because really before it we were we were operating in a model that didn't that wasn't going to exist forever yeah. it just yeah wasn't so uh, it's nice to see in the mentality of the new physios coming out is matching that and so hopefully it all kind of catches up and then mm-hmm. that will that will help but it will create a, a question of well how do you run a business a successful business in that model and because it's kind of gravity it's evolving it, it's going to be different uh, as, as it goes forward and maybe the model that wins is we start charging $250 an hour and we work one-on-one with clients uh, that might be that might be the, the winning model or does it stay in I think it will depend on ultimately who's running the business and yeah. how they want to practice. So yeah, true. Um, well, let, let me ask you this: uh, what what advice would you give twenty five, twenty eight year old Felix as you were just kind of, you know, dipping your toes into the business world and getting acquainted with all this stuff? If you could go back and and, and give yourself one piece of advice, the best I think piece of advice would be find a mentor. Find someone that's done it the way that you would have wanted to be done and let them teach you. Because yeah. I would have saved thousands of dollars and years of struggles if I had that. Uh, I, I had some people around me that had some vague knowledge, but I don't have a, a circle of people that are business minded. And to be honest, I, I could have went out and looked for it and I, I didn't. Um, I'm pretty stubborn too. <laughs> uh, so. But I will say that if, if you're looking at running a business or starting something, just find someone that's done it and, and follow them. I ask for advice, hang out with them. You know, uh, that's the best. That's what actually a lot of business people do is that they'll go and be, they say, be an intern somewhere mm-hmm. for free, work for free. Yeah. Because knowledge is way more uh, valuable. I, like I said, yeah. I, I would have yeah. saved three years of my hard work by getting someone that told me, hey, you know what, maybe you shouldn't do that. That's probably not a good idea. Or maybe you, this is where you want to go based on what I'm feeling I would have paid so much money for I would have given a year free of volunteer work 
to have yeah. that advice. So. so you had to kind of learn those lessons along the way yeah. on your own. Yeah, so school yeah. of hard knocks. And, and I mean, I'm lucky because to be honest, if I didn't have the support of my wife who actually has a stable income unlike <laughs> my, <laughs> my hobby that I call a job, I, it would have been very challenging. Yeah. So um, yeah, definitely find someone. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, any, uh, any pieces of advice that you would give to a, you know, a really motivated student who's, who's just graduating PT school, who's like coming towards the end of their, their program as, as they get like, just start getting into the profession. What would you, what would you tell them? Uh, I think that I, I think I got into the business side a little too quickly, uh, even though it, it was year three, I feel like I didn't develop a lot of my physio skills early hmm. and I would say if that's your interest and, and that's that was kind of mine in the beginning as to let me let me be a good physio first uh, I thought three years was a little bit on the on the like soonish end yeah I think three to five is a good time as long as you got a lot of your courses in but having said that there are some physios that come out and they already have that business mindset and right. that, that they're like no I'm going to open a clinic and that's what I'm going to do and and that's great and there's nothing wrong with that it just demands a lot of time and when you're stuck yeah. now doing taxes and accounting and payroll and all this kind of stuff it takes away from that ability to spend time reading uh, journals and podcasts and all that stuff that really develop your skills because it does get harder and harder to go back to that uh, mm -hmm. that learning phase there's only so much time uh, and so I'd say, you know, if you're if you're somewhat interested, then just take your time. Uh, there's no rush. Find a mentor or whoever your boss is at work. Hey, can I shadow or can I spend some time? I've, I've always done that. If anyone wants to learn anything, <laughs> I don't know why they would learn it from me. But <laughs> I, I definitely want to share all that knowledge because I know that was lacking for me and I wouldn't want to help anyone. Yeah. Plus, not to mention it's a small community. And why, why wouldn't you want to just help everyone get better? There shouldn't be any competition in that sense. Um, but if you are business oriented, then my goal is, my advice is find someone quick uh, yeah. or, or very early on. I made it very clear to my bosses in the very beginning, my first job, I said, where can I go from here? That wasn't my question in the interview. It was like, I want to know, can I grow? Uh, I don't want to be a physio forever doing this in this room. Mm -hmm. uh, and so if you don't get a, an answer that you like, then, well, maybe look somewhere else. Yeah. So it sounds like maybe the, you know, the, the fundamental piece is like self reflection about yeah. what you actually want yeah which is really hard um to know like do i just want to be a technician where i'm just really really good at yeah. being a physio or do you want to you know like branch out more into the business side of things and taking maybe yeah taking taking the time to reflect on that a little bit and not getting so lost in just the daily grind of treating yeah. that you don't know why you're doing what you're doing because oh, time flies right no like, here we are like a year and a half after right. I started, and it just like feels like a, a month. Right, and and I'll say, I mean, the, the amount of times I've wanted to quit would probably be shocking enough that you wouldn't yeah. want to get into business. Yeah, uh, yeah. in the first right. place. So because I think by nature I'm a technician, and I really enjoy it. I really do enjoy working with clients and that sensation that you get when you get someone better, yeah. and they thank you like truly a, a wholehearted thanks so much. Yeah, um, kind of thing. So that was probably my true calling. I just got into the business. I think for me, anyways, personally, was a little too quick. Mm. Um, but that's just the learning lesson, right? And you may not be able to know that, like that self-reflection is difficult because how do you know how you're going to feel if you don't actually do it? No, for sure. That's it. I mean, it's all hindsight. Right. Sorry, it's all 2020 hindsight. Yeah. 
Um, just to like dive into the details a little bit on the when you first started in business, like what were the most what what surprised you the most? Like what like because obviously you don't know what you don't know. Like if I were to say I'm gonna go start a physio clinic, mm-hmm. there's all these things like you gotta hire front desk staff, you gotta have like you gotta keep the place clean, you got like you gotta take the trash out, like all these <laughs> you gotta do payroll. Like there's all these things that uh, I don't even know what the list is. Yeah. What were those things that shocked you that you're like, oh my goodness, I was I wasn't expecting that. I think so. Let's take this clinic in as the example. One of the things that I think was very naive to was how do you access money to start something? Yeah. Because unless you have capital, you can't just go and build a clinic. And so in my mind, I thought, well, I'm a nice guy. I'm a physio. I go into the bank, all bushy, bushy-tailed, and I they'd said, I need a loan. They'd be throwing it at you. Yeah, and I, I, they'd be throwing <laughs> that at me as I walk in. Um, but apparently, yeah, being a nice guy doesn't get you credit. Uh, so it, it required a lot more on my part than I thought in the sense of, I don't know, when I look at business people, I said, well, they just go to the bank and get a loan, and then you pay off a loan, right? Makes sense. Even with a business plan, you just it, you need money essentially or backing. Some someone's got to back you because the bank's not going to lose if yeah. you go bankrupt. <laughs> they yeah. always win, right? So that was a bit of a shock. And so I think that if you're looking to start something, you got to figure out where's that capital coming from, and are you willing to put up your own capital yeah. uh, to to back your business? And that that was a a really big one uh, for me on from the get go. The other part was just how much it takes to find a location and go through the hoops of, well, can you can you even put a clinic in that uh, environment because there's zoning bylaws and True. things like that. True. So hmm. you might find a perfect spot and realize, well, that's not zoned for what you're doing. So now yeah. what? And then finding yeah. a, a location that might accommodate to what you do. Like what we have here, we have cinder block walls on part of the gym. So we can do a lot of things that you might not be able to do with drywall on the wall. Yeah. And so little things like that, having high ceilings, um, all this kind of stuff, it's not as easy as I thought. I thought, you know, Toronto's a big city. You could just go find something. Yeah. Um, so there was that part. Did I, you have anybody to, like, when you had to, like, negotiate the lease and stuff like that? Like, did you have somebody, like, coaching you through it? How did... Or... Well, I had a real estate agent, and, and they kind of coach you a little bit. Yeah. But it's it's like reading a different language initially. You go through these lease agreements, and... There has there's words there that you don't understand and what it yeah. means and, and so there's a big learning curve to that if you've never been exposed to it right uh, and so that's where I talk about hey if you have someone that that has done it maybe if you have a friend or colleague or, or someone that hey look at this lease for me do you, do you mind taking a quick look mm-hmm. that's helpful because if you're sitting there at 11 p.m. <laughs> yeah. trying to read this after seeing 10 patients in a day yeah it's it's a lot now did you were you treating full time as like at the other spot while you were kind of like getting everything in motion to, yeah 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 that yeah. must have been an insane time it was um yeah it was a really really crazy time uh, during that that process of the build out and everything else and there's a whole other story that goes with it but i, I just have really good people around me like honestly i mean even the staff at the time they we had to move some equipment and stuff and they came and they, they just helped um yeah just like that just for some pizzas <laughs> so it wouldn't you know it really does create the environment was big t- for me and that's one thing with business is that i've always wanted to make it feel like i'm i'm going home because we spent so much time here why would you not make it want to feel like you're all family friends and hanging yeah. out together and that was a big part of the learning curve as well only because a lot of business courses and and i used to listen to a lot of podcasts they always make the distinction and there is a distinction in terms of hierarchy but 
You never want it to seem that way uh, because it's just not a, a good fit. Uh, you want people to feel like they're respected and they're, uh, they're treated well for what they do because yeah. ultimately the, the compensation is a big part of it as well. And that's, that's also another uh, struggle for business. How do you negotiate contracts with, with your uh, mm-hmm. staff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just the whole process of it is going to be tailored to who you are as a person is what I think. Right. Most businesses, you walk in and you kind of can tell if it's business or like it's an owner operator or if it's right. just a corporation. A corporate chain. That, yeah. and, and I don't like that fit. And that's where I sort of deviated from the Maybe I don't want multiple clinics. Well, it's super interesting to see, was it Loblaws that bought, or some big, uh, what was it? They bought LifeMark. Somebody acquired all the LifeMark clinics like in the past month. Uh, no, I thought LifeMark acquired a bunch of other clinics. No, there was, I, it was the was it PC, like President's Choice or something like that. Oh, I didn't even hear yeah, that. Yeah, I saw this on my Instagram. I haven't looked into it in detail, but it seems like in some areas, things are only going to become more... Oh, yeah. So I've heard of this for a couple of years now, the, con- the consolidation of a lot of these clinics because especially from American money, they're coming up here and figuring out, hey, it's not, it's not quite developed yet. They're just trying to buy all the clinics out and then standardize things and yeah it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens because then you're competing against corporations yeah and as a boutique clinic yeah it's going to be it's going to be a challenge but i think there's still going to be an appetite for it uh because i think ultimately people now especially are looking more for that one-on-one local uh experience and not that sterile corporate there are people that go there but i think what we have is is unique yeah and i guess there's inherent value in just doing things right you know even if you that's Maybe, right. If you, like your 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 profit margins aren't, yeah, you know, the same as a a big corporation. It's like okay, you're you're helping your community and you're, yeah, you're doing it in a way that you can sleep at night. And ultimately, yeah. I wish we could run this as a charity. That would be great. <laughs> if I could find you're, a place I yeah. could apply and say, hey, we're now a charity. That would be awesome. That would probably be one of my goals. Maybe I'll figure out how to do that. Yeah, you just win the lottery and then yeah, get to go from there. <laughs> I don't play. That's going to be hard. Um, cool. Well, I, yeah, that, that honestly is super interesting to get your take on things. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to kind of add to talking about, you know, the business side of things and no, any, I mean, any other thoughts? I think overall it's been a good experience if I take it as a whole. But if you look at the individual parts... It's a lot different than I thought it would be to run a business. Uh, I, I thought it was very glamorized, and I think a lot of people do make it that way. And that's why I got into it way too quickly because I thought it was going to be glamorous. I just yeah. saw these clinic owners, and to be fair, a lot of them were, were chiropractors, and they would just be driving around fancy cars and suits and ties and everything. And I thought, wow, that's a cool lifestyle. I, I, yeah. I want to do that. Yeah. Uh, not realizing what it takes to do that and yeah. what you would have to, there's a give and take. And so that's why I think there's true value to sitting down with people and, and hey, what, what's your experience? Mm-hmm. Like, what's the, and if, if they can be honest with you, because honestly, yeah. there's a lot of ways you can be like, well, this is the greatest experience of my life and it's been successful from day one. And yeah, uh, that may be the case, but it's often not. Well, I'm talking about like in informed consent, you know, um, in school, like a lot of people have the mindset of I want to open a clinic right away. Um, and like when you really talk to clinic owners like that, I've, that I've spoken to around the city where I've had placements, they all just describe it as this like 
horribly stressful experience where like you, you, you go into it thinking like, I don't want to be a slave to my boss. Yeah. I want my financial freedom and, and my time. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, well, immediately you go from working a nine to five or an eight to four to 24, seven, yeah. 365. Do you know what I mean? Like you just took a vacation for like one, I mean, you like when's last how, how much vacation have you taken over the past you know few years? I was telling someone actually I've I've never taken a two week break consecutively. Yeah, my, I think since I graduated, it just it just too much time to be away, <laughs> yeah. and it's always going to be something. But I'll say I mean honestly, it is stressful when you're away. When you have a good team, it's not as bad. Yeah, and it gets better as the as as your business matures. It it's better. True, but in in infancy and kind of teenage years. It's a lot of work. Yeah. Well, it's so fascinating, right? Because a lot of people that are business-minded, they read, like, Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. Yes. Yeah. You know, like, I read that when I was an undergrad, and I was like, oh, okay, like, that's the goal. Yeah. Um, and as over time, like, my perspective really has shifted. It, it's, it's interesting, that whole business guru social media space is, like, how little value can I add yeah. and make money yeah. and scale? And it's, it's like, yeah. I don't know, it, it's very attractive when you're a lazy, like, undergrad student. Um, but yeah. like, it, it's just, it's, it's a fascinating paradox yeah. of, of, you know, obviously the more value you provide, it'd be great to be compensated in, in accordance with that. Right. Um, but we have these constraints and we want to serve people that can't pay and like, it's a really tricky issue, man. Yeah. But I think there's a way to do it. I, like I said, I don't think I've quite figured it out just yet. I'm close. Yeah. I haven't figured it out yet, but I think I do have a pretty good work-life balance and I have two kids that are turning 11 and 13. And so I, I've been doing this since actually my my eldest was through two wow uh, and so it's been a decade of me trying to figure this out and like I said it's getting pretty close now after a decade but I could, I'm telling you if I had a mentor it probably would have been half the time yeah that I would have figured this out uh, and then I could have springboarded off that and sort of worked towards developing my personal style right um, yeah but yeah it's 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 overall it's a it's a good thing but when you look at the day-to-day there's a lot it's a lot of stress yeah. Well, what I'm hearing is there's no there's no cookie cutter way to go about it for every, for each individual. Everybody's different, but if you can find a mentor to save you some, you know, save you some time and cash. Yeah, time and cash. That's it, eh? <laughs> yeah, definitely. And and honestly, though, but you can do. I, I'm excited to see other clinics as well because you see different ways things are run, and I think it is important for our profession for more physios to own clinics. Yeah. Because historically, it's been a lot of other either business people or chiropractors um, mm-hmm. or other healthcare practitioners. And so I think for our profession in, in general, if you have a physio-owned clinic, I think that's good for us as, as a whole. So we should look to ways to encourage more physios to do that. Agreed. Cool. Well, um, really appreciate the insight. And uh, yeah, anything else you want to add? Or? No, that's it. I really appreciate you having me. I hope it wasn't a complete waste of time. Oh, we're, the podcast <laughs> is going to the moon now that we've got Felix Humana himself on. So <laughs> um, thanks a lot. And we'll, we'll have to have you on to talk about uh, some, some more clinical stuff next time. Sounds good. Okay. Thanks so much for listening to the Paradox PT Podcast. If you want to get in touch with either of us, please reach out on Instagram. I can be found at leo.physio and Felix can be found at physiofelix. Thank you again for listening and we'll see you on the next episode.